Welcome to the Putback, SNY.TV. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider, and we have a great guest here, Frank Isola. First of all, you know him because he covered the Knicks forever, but you also know him because in the morning, he's on Sirius XM NBA radio, the starting lineup with Brian Scalabrini. Afternoon, you see him on ESPN, uh, PTI, around the horn. And then at night, Yes Network, Nets Games. He's the hardest working man in sports media. We're lucky to have him here for a few minutes to talk Knicks and the NBA. We're going to start off, Frank, with the baseline. A little recap of where the Knicks are at the moment. Uh, after the All-Star break, had a, a good win against Philadelphia. And they lost against Boston, which was expected. They beat Detroit. And I would say the loss against New Orleans uh, Tuesday night was also expected because they have been so banged up. But they wake up this morning, fourth place Eastern Conference, but just two games ahead of that play-in spot. When you look at the conference there, you got the standings up here now. You're looking at Orlando, just two games out of that play-in uh, spot. So uh, shaky ground for the Knicks right now dealing with injuries, and one of those injuries, Frank Jalen Brunson, guy you know very well, is, is the neck, the, excuse me, neck injury that he woke up with Tuesday morning, and I think you'll agree with me, Frank, if he was able to play, if there was any way he could get on the court, he would have been on the court Tuesday night against New Orleans. He wouldn't just have sat the game to try to get a breather in the middle of a long season. He would want to play. So that yeah. tells you a little bit about the severity of, of the injury, but just this team without Brunson, I mean, what do you make of them? Yeah, it's going to be really tough, and I think the injuries are starting to catch up with them, obviously. You know, when you're missing Julius Randle, who's a big-time scorer, has the ball a lot. OG Ananobi, who would play well after they acquired him from Toronto, had played really well, and obviously Brunson was an all-star this year, and Mitchell Robinson as well. It's hard to win when your guys are hurt, and I think when they wake up today, though, and you look at the standings, to be in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, to be ahead of Miami, to be ahead of Philadelphia, and of course, Philadelphia's kind of falling apart with what's happened with um, with Joel Embiid and even the United Pacers, who had gotten off to a good start. So I think, you know, the Knicks are still in a pretty good position. As you know, the month of March is always sneaky because right around the trade, you know, the all-star break, you get that week off and there's, you know, all this rest. And then before you know it, everyone's playing about 16, 17 games in March. So March is a tough part of the schedule. They need their guys back. I don't know when they're going to be back or if they're going to be back. The OG Anobi thing worries you. You know, was he damaged goods when the Knicks traded for him? Uh, you know, I don't know about that. But I do know that Brunson wants to be back. Then you hope they can get him back against a team like the Golden State Warriors, who right now are absolutely flying. Right. We'll find out more about Brunson's status later Wednesday for that Golden State game. Uh, it sounded like a pain tolerance issue, but you don't want to mess around with the neck, obviously. And then you're talking about Isaiah Hartenstein, the other short-term ailment that the Knicks are dealing with. He said Tuesday, but based on what Tom Thibodeau said, it, it seemed more so like second game of a back-to-back. Uh, we're ramping him up to try to get him back to the, the minutes load that we need him to play. So this might have been like a scheduled absence for Hartenstein. I don't know if it was the result of anything that happened that flared up his Achilles ailment. I would assume then that he's back either Thursday for Golden State or Sunday against Cleveland. It seems like they're just trying to ramp him up there. But how important has he been to this team with Mitchell Robinson out? Have you been surprised by what you've seen from Isaiah? Well, I mean I mean, you know, look at some of the players that they're getting it done with. And Isaiah Hartenstein has been really good. You know, he he defends, he runs the court, he rebounds, he just makes so many hustle plays. And the one thing about the Knicks, and this has a lot to do, I think, with Tom Thibodeau, 
and certainly Jalen Brunson, it just seems like everyone kind of understands their role and fits in. And that's why when they made the trade to bring in OG Ananobi, it was to fit into what they already have. And I think I, Isaiah Hartenstein has definitely been that guy. I had the big steal the other night against Detroit. Then, of course, the Knicks turned the ball over again. I felt like I was watching, you know, like a U11 basketball game. You don't normally <laughs> see three or four turnovers at one end of the court before a basket is made or a team crosses half court. But you need those type of intangible players. And I think, you know, you, you could tell that they've done a good job kind of putting the building a team around both Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, but kind of, you know, getting players that fit what Tom wants to do, guys that play both ends of the court and especially defend, which ultimately is going to help you win in the playoffs. Yeah, you certainly need offense, but you have to be able to get stops. Something Cleveland couldn't do last year in the playoffs and certainly something that the Knicks did up until game six against uh, the Miami Heat. Right, right. Yeah, def defensively, uh, it's going to be interesting where, to see where they are as you get towards the postseason, the Hartenstein, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle. You mentioned OG Ananobi, just talking about all the injured guys. You know, with Ananobi – he hasn't started shooting yet, and I think that's the big yeah. hurdle for him because it's the right elbow, shooting elbow, and uh, that's we're still waiting to hear when that happens. But you know, I do think mid-March, I think that's that's kind of seen internally as a realistic possibility if he continues to go well here and clear the hurdles that he's got to clear in his rehab from that elbow surgery. I think you're looking at mid-March. If in a perfect world it all goes well, he can come back on the court. So that would be huge, obviously, for New York because they were rolling with a healthy Ananobi, yeah. 14 and two in that month of January, and you just saw what it could look like. So you know, with Ananobi, that elbow injury, Frank, how much caution? would you proceed with there? And you talked about maybe damaged goods. Like, how does that work I, in this league? Yeah. Do you think they had a chance to look under the hood? Well, you know, the, the only thing is, you, one thing you have to remember about OG Ananobi, when Toronto made their run and won a championship, he didn't play. You know, he he yeah. was injured back then, and he has dealt with a lot of injuries. And it's funny about Toronto, you know, you know a lot of their guys got traded, you know, especially Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi and all the team, they were losing while they were there. Now they've actually started to win some games. They're actually making a run into 10th place. He, The Knicks need him just because he can guard multiple positions. He knocks down corner threes. And, you know, he's got experience. It, you mentioned the record. Just look at how well he fit in as soon as he arrived in New York. But in terms of – I always wanted – it was such a weird trade because on the one hand, you have the Knicks suing the Toronto Raptors. And I get it. <laughs> Toronto's trying to get better. And Emmanuel quickly, by the way, has played really well for yeah. Toronto. R.J. Barrett's had his moments as well. I just found it interesting that they were trade partners. And the Knicks and Toronto have been trade partners a lot over the years. Maybe the most celebrated trade that they made up until the one this season was Marcus Camby for Charles Oakley. That was back in, what, the summer of uh, 98. So it's, it's happened before. I just found it interesting that they were trade partners. But I would think that Toronto, that was the one – fear of acquiring a guy like OJ Anobi. Certainly a good player, but he has dealt with a lot of injuries over his career. Yeah, Frank, I'm surprised you didn't reference the Bargnani deal, too. Uh, I forgot. Rose, that's right. I forgot about that, that one. Who, who, yeah. was in, who was involved in that one? Well, I don't We had a, a, a local reporter, picks? a buddy of, of ours, who said, take that Maasai a couple <laughs> days after that trade. And we know it didn't go well for the Knicks. It was, I think it was two firsts for Bargnani yeah, they, when, they, when they, they weren't were, even yeah. playing him. That was, John that was Wall. Tough. I remember when John Wallace got traded up there. I think the you know the Knicks. I think Jalen Rose was involved in a, in a trade with mm -hmm. the Knicks. It's weird. The Knicks in Toronto have always made a lot of trades over the years. And then there was the Kyle Lowry one that didn't happen after. That's that right. They got the, they put the so. kibosh on that one, and Kyle Lowry went on to help Toronto win a championship.
Yeah, now they're trading uh, court papers in uh, Southern <laughs> District of uh, New York. So that's exactly. a fascinating dynamic there. And Randall, obviously, is, is the big one here for the Knicks. And I, everything that I had heard before he spoke last week was that, you know, he had been making some steady progress in the two to three week period where he was, you know, rehabbing and trying to see after that period where he could go with it. I think the Ranger motion, they were pleased with where that was during that two to three week period. And Tom Thibodeau said publicly uh, earlier this week that, hey, he, he's in a good place. Everything that he knows uh, leads him to believe that no surgery. Randall should be back. Now, Randall, when he spoke uh, earlier this week, I should have said he did talk about, you know, the possibility of surgery hadn't been ruled out. I thought he was just kind of answering questions. Right. I didn't think he was trying to say, like, hey, uh, we're not out of the woods or like I'm going to have I'm leaning towards surgery. I don't think there was uh, there was any intent there from Julius. I think he was just laying out the possibilities because nothing had been ruled out. I do think the one thing that he's got to worry about, and I'm sure is factoring into any decision that's made, is like you come back, you re-injure that shoulder, and then it turns into some chronic condition that impacts you for the rest yeah. of your career. I, I think that's that's got to be something that they're taking into consi consideration, and I'm sure that they are. He's such a physical player where – uh, you know, That's if right. he needs that shoulder, he needs a shoulder right. to do yep. what he has to do. So you look at him and you look at the injury and how do you see this dynamic for them? And it sounds like what they're trying to do and they're being smart here. They're trying to rehab it, see, you know, how long he's going to be out for. Maybe he can come back at some point. Could it maybe be mid-March? And he plays, and I would think at some point he's going to have to have shoulder surgery. They want to get him for the playoffs because I think the Knicks do look at their roster and they think if we have everybody healthy, we can be a pretty dangerous team because I think in the Eastern Conference, you know, Philadelphia, Embiid, they hope that he can come back, but you know what uh, what kind of condition he's going to be, uh, that, that, he's, that he'll be under. And then you have Milwaukee, which has kind of been up and down, even though they've played well of late. And Boston, to me, is far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference. I thought they were far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference last year, and they, didn't, and they didn't get out of the East. But, you know, they have question marks, too. I mean, Kristaps Porzingis has dealt with injuries before, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Joe Missoula and that team when you have a, the great regular season like they're having that puts even more pressure. So I think the Knicks think if they can get their guys back, they could they could make a pretty serious run. If You know, if you go back to last year's playoffs against Miami, no team in the East played – uh, Miami better than the Knicks did. The Knicks, you know, they, they were Jalen Brunson shot away in game six of forcing a game seven on their home court. Now you're going to say, well, all right, Boston took them to a game seven. They were also trailing 3-0 in the series. And then in game seven, they got blown out. So I, th I think the Knicks, who showed you last year about their toughness, their ability to defend in the playoffs, and their roster is better this year. But the problem is they don't have those guys available. I think Randall will be back, and I would bet – at some point over the summer on a late Friday afternoon, you'll be out with your family thinking that you have the night off and you're going to get a release <laughs> that Julius Randle just had surgery at the hospital for special surgery on his shoulder. And he's going to be out three to five months or whatever, whatever the timetable will be. Oh, God, you just uh, you give me PTSD. My <laughs> ready wife for that Friday night. We've so all been there. angry. She's going to be like, we made plans <laughs> days ago. What are you doing? Exactly. We'll be scrambling, putting makeup on at the beach somewhere. It's going to yep. be fun. It's definitely happened. But anyway, you Mitchell Robinson's the one guy we didn't talk about. I think it's uh it's there are longer odds for him because of what he's dealing with. And I think there was, you know, there was optimism about him returning at some point before the playoffs. And I think that's still there because of the hurdles that he's cleared to date. But I just wonder, you know, how what kind of game shape could he be in? 
if he's coming back at that point. And conditioning has been such a big thing for him. Coming off injuries, you saw a couple of years ago when he had that foot surgery, you know, he came back really, really strong. He put on a lot of muscle weight, but then it took him a while to get back into playing shapes. I, I just wonder what that layoff is going to do for him, even if he makes it all the way back. But again, if you could have Mitchell Robinson for 10 minutes in these playoff games, I think he can make a difference. What do you think he could be once he gets back on the floor, if he does get back yeah. on the floor, Frank? Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. I, I wouldn't expect him to be able to play big minutes, but we all know how the playoff schedule works. You never play back-to-backs. So anytime right. that he plays, he's naturally going to get a day off. Conditioning will be an issue. You know, way back when, when Patrick Ewing, um, you know, I'd probably say his last four or five years, with the Knicks, you know, he had so many knee issues that what they started doing was he didn't practice. He played in every game because back then, believe it or not, the players actually played all the time. I know now it's that scene is like you're like a, an alien if you do that. Like, how dare you play all the time? But he didn't practice, and that did throw off his rhythm. And I think you'll probably see that with Mitch Robinson. Now, he's not an offensive player the way Patrick Ewing was, but it's going to impact you when you haven't played for that long. And we know how it works. The playoffs roll around and the intensity level increases. And it's kind of hard to get up to speed with something like that. But if if they can get him to between 10 and 18 minutes, and if he's available for the playoffs, he's certainly going to help. You, you know, you need that size, especially if they run into a team like the Boston Celtics, which is like an old school NBA team. They're absolutely massive. You know, with you know, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Horford, Prazingis, uh, and, and certainly Jason Tatum. That's a big, big team. And the yep. Knicks would need that size. Yeah. And uh, now, Frank, we're going to go to Matt Spenley, our social media guru here at SNY. He, I think, has an update from Twitter and a fan question. Matt, what's going on? Well, the update from Twitter in relation to all the injuries that the Knicks have. Uh, I've heard that they are in need of some bodies, some NBA talent. And uh, I've heard of one NBA reporter that we have uh, on hand that has uh, you know, showed us that he has a picture from back in the day of him playing basketball. I'm waiting for the tweet to come up. If it doesn't oh, come up, I'm not, there we go. What? Oh, that's just us. Okay. Ian. I, there I, it is. I, I, there he is. All right. Here is our very own. going to make it on the show. We need to know. What yeah. was your game like? What would you bring to the Knicks? And yeah. could you actually give them 11 minutes? Yeah, I, they used to call me Chris Dudley, a young Chris Dudley uh, <laughs> back in the day. I had I had five fouls to give. Uh, I couldn't jump over a, a credit card. Maybe you call, you say you can't jump over a SIM card these days. Uh, but I, I set hard screens. Uh, I could shoot a little bit, and I, and I fouled a lot. And uh, a lot of pride on that freshman uh, team from Pomona Junior High School. I think we had one loss. County champs, that loss still haunts me. I, I blew a bunny against New Rochelle and all it's coming back right now and it hurts. But uh yeah, I didn't you guys are surprising me with that one. And uh yeah, I was just just having a little fun he, on Twitter. If he played if he played for the Knicks and played eleven minutes his first time out, Nick's Twitter would be criticizing Tom that they're running Ian into the ground. How dare <laughs> how dare they do that. He should only be well, playing seven minutes in his debut. When the defibrillator comes out after the seven-minute mark, I think, yeah, we'd have bigger problems than Thibodeau. He's going to be Casper uh, for air after a minute. But you know what? Setting hard screens, Ian's putting up four points, four rebounds, four assists, two steals, five fouls, foul out. Just uh, pass it to Brunson. Yeah. That's the key. All right. Uh, fan question to go into it. Um, Frank, you brought up Tom Thibodeau, and we're going to talk a little bit about the job Tibbs has done this year. So Lou Boogie's asking uh, from YouTube, 
at what point does Tibbs manage minutes better once everyone has returned? So it's a conversation we spend a lot of time talking about um, the minutes load, the amount of players they have right now. We know that there's only so many options, but Ian, just starting with you, um, you know, in the four games the Knicks have played since the All-Star break, how the rotations have been and, and just broader about Tibbs. You know what? I think one thing you can look for is maybe Josh Hart, his minutes could go down a little bit if you get some of these guys back. But, I, you know, the way this roster is and the way that the injuries are piling up with this team, I think any coach would kind of play these guys the same minutes, similar minutes that you're seeing, because what are your options? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you go Deuce McBride for some more minutes. But and when you talk about managing the minutes better, I don't see an obvious area where he could go where he hasn't gone. I mean, Frank, what, what do you see when you look at these games with this roster and the yeah, minutes yeah. allotment? Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with manage the minutes better. I mean, every coach in the NBA tends to play their best players the most minutes. Go look at what Ty Lue does with the L.A. Clippers. Kawhi Leonard, who's missed a lot of time in the last three years, he's not on the bench all the time. He's out there playing. Same thing with Paul George. I don't, I don't really understand that. When they, If they get everybody back, their top eight players are going to play. That's just the way it is. I mean, you know, I sometimes think, you know, when everyone says, oh, look at all the depth that we have, it's really just about having a solid eight or nine players. Look at the Boston Celtics. They're the best team in the league. You think they're going to play 10 guys when it matters? You know, they'll bring a couple of guys off the bench, but for the most part, you know those core six players that are going to be playing, assuming everybody is healthy. So I think the big thing would be getting everyone back. You know, when you talk about managing minutes better, I think with the injuries that they've had, the schedule that they've had, how many times have they played Milwaukee and Boston already? About 10 times each, it seems like. <laughs> you know, for them to be in fourth place right now with under 25 games to go is actually pretty good uh, for the New York Knicks. I think I think they've done really well. The biggest concern now will be Brunson, who's had a, you know, a, a big season already. And remember, he also played for the national team over the summer in Asia, so he didn't have that much time off. But I also think a lot of the top, top players, if you look at over the years, played a lot of basketball. They just did. Yes, they got rest, but they played all year long. They got themselves ready. You know, I, remember I talked to uh, Rick Brunson, and he said Jalen is always trained that way, to be ready yeah. to play a lot of minutes. And, you know, obviously a neck injury has got nothing to do with his legs. You know, sometimes you just take a weird shot over the course of a game. It's a physical sport. So that, that'll be the big one, getting him back. Yeah, no doubt. And yet, I mean, he does prepare for these minutes. And I think Josh Hart does prepare for these kind of minutes as well. And the thing with Hart that I think is interesting is he had that knee flare up a little bit uh, a few weeks back. You know, I was talking to him last night about it. And, you know, he, he's been able to manage it well. Obviously, he's playing big minutes now. Uh, one thing he hasn't been able to do as often is lift or get in the weight room. Uh, in between games so that's kind of one issue that he's he's dealing with but uh, so far so good with that knee I think he you know we were talking about it. he just wants to be able to get to the finish line here and then maybe take some time off because it's been playoffs USA basketball right. and now NBA season and it's not something that his body is used to it's not it's a much different calendar for him so he's going to grind until he gets to the finish line and, and hopefully uh, play through that knee discomfort. And he's done a good job of it to date. And I think he's going to take uh, more yeah. than a couple of weeks off when they get to the end here. But he's such a key piece for this team. And we're talking about Thibodeau, Frank, uh, disclaimer, uh, somebody, I think the cooler, my guy on Twitter, he called you Thibodeau's biggest defender for years. But I know you as an objective reporter. And we're looking at Thibodeau like – I, I get it. Uh, every manager, coach, 
is going to get criticism in New York. That's just a part of the job in this market. But when you look at where the Knicks had been, you know, two decades, even go back three decades when they were good, uh, where do you put Thibodeau in kind of the ranking of recent Knicks coaches? Well, you know, I think you, if you go back to, you know, Pat Riley coming to the Knicks, which was an unbelievable coup for the Knicks to get him, I always felt they just should have handed him the keys to the franchise and let him run the whole thing. I think by now the, the Knicks would probably have at least three championships if they had done that. But on Pat Riley's staff was Jeff Van Gundy, and then on Jeff Van Gundy's staff was Tom Thibodeau. So there's a, the big connection between the Knicks, I think, and the Miami Heat. I think he's done a great job. I, th- you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that Rick Brunson is on his staff and that Jalen Brunson is playing for the Knicks. I think that's something that Rick wanted. I think it's something that Jalen wanted. So I think the two of them are kind of attached at the hip. I think they kind of approach everything the same way. They're all of business. They're all about basketball. And they're all about winning. That's all they're trying to do. Tom doesn't, you know, there's no outside distractions with Tom. You know, he's not looking to write a book. He's not looking uh, to be on TV. He's just looking to win basketball games for the New York Knicks. Now, Jalen does do that wacky podcast with Josh Hart. But, you know, he's a young guy. He needs to do something (laughs) to occupy his time. But I I think the two of them are are a perfect match. I think Tom's done really well. Just look at what what went on in New York before he got there. They were going – through coaches uh, left and right. And I think it also helps that Leon Rose has known Tom for a long time. So when you have everyone kind of connected like that, and you have to be able to kind of go through the ups and downs of an NBA regular season. You know, the Knicks have a terrific player in Jalen Brunson. They don't have the classic superstar. You know, they don't have Joel Embiid on their team or Nikola Jokic or Luka Doncic or anybody. You know, they don't have LeBron James. So I think they've done a pretty good job. I, I get it. Like when you coach the Knicks, it's like coaching the Dallas Cowboys. It's like coaching the Lakers. It's like being the manager of the Yankees. I think the losses are always going to be magnified. But I think most fans, if they're being objective about it and being realistic about it, you know, you have to, they have to be happy with what's gone on up to this point in terms of the Knicks now around the league. Let's face it, you know, Five years ago for about how long? Ten years and really almost most of the last 20 years, except for a little stretch there with Carmelo when they did win, what was that, 57 games or whatever it was, and they made it to the second round. The 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 view of the Knicks or the opinion around the league is that it's a joke and that why would you go there? Your career is going to die. They've completely changed that. And I think that that's something else that the fans should understand. I know they always tried to blame the media for us pointing that out, but now the media is going to point out how they're viewed around the league. It's a lot different. It's viewed as a more stable situation. And I think, obviously, the front office is a part of that. I think Tom Thibodeau and his coaching staff is a part of that. I think Jalen Brunson kind of being the leader of that team and everyone kind of following, you know, falling in line has been a big part of it as well. And, Frank, quick follow-up there. You mentioned it. Just the idea that Jalen and Rick are so tied in closely with Tom Thibodeau and you have your your star player, obviously, on the same page with the head coach. And then – Leon Rose, the team president, also was very close with Thibodeau, and they did go through some rocky times. I think there were a couple instances where firing Thibodeau was was on the table. I go back to a couple of years ago, All Star break when they had a few horrible losses at home. You know, there yeah. were whispers about it, legitimate whispers, and then you go back to uh, I think it was last year when they started off really poorly. Uh, before he made the rotation switch, and I think if they had lost the game, I think it was to Cleveland. If they had lost that game, I mean, all bets were off, whether it was Tom or, or everybody, Leon on down, there was going to be a change made. So they've been through rocky times together. But yeah. just the idea that there's a foundation there where, uh, you know, they may disagree, but by and large, they all want to kind of row in the same direction. How important is that for an organization? How valuable is that? 
Yeah, and two years ago, you know, they did bring in Kemba Walker, which was a mistake. So they got worse defensively, which which was an issue. But you know, it's funny. Everybody talks about you know, you mentioned heat culture, and I think Pat Riley. I think sometimes he's just trolling us because they. I mean, they even wrote it on their court. But heat culture is Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, and then the star players on the team kind of all falling in line. And if you don't fall in line, they get rid of you. And that's happened. With, with a bunch of players that they've had there. But over the years with Dwayne Wade, and then obviously LeBron was a big part of it. Now Jimmy Butler is a big part of it, as well as Bam Adebayo. You know, it's it's seen as a no-nonsense organization where the GM and the coach are running everything, and there's going to be no interference there. No one's going to be going behind anybody's back and trying to get this person fired and do this and all this silly underhanded stuff. And I think the Knicks kind of have something like that right now, how long it could last. Is, is another story, but it helps to have everyone kind of on the same page. doesn't mean that they're not going to disagree on certain things and disagree on players, but I think the best teams kind of allow the coach to coach the team. I think Steve Kerr has kind of been like that with the Golden State Warriors. It also helps to have Steph Curry, who, again, is in line with the head coach. It all needs to work. You know, there, are, there will be teams that have really, really good players, but they might be off doing their own thing, and they don't get along with the coach, and guys are getting fired left and right, and that never seems – to work out. I think what the Knicks have is something they haven't had for a long time. So, you know, this idea of fire this guy, fire that guy, it doesn't, it, well, it didn't work for the Knicks for 20 years. The fact that they're kind of being, um, you know, they're, they're kind of sticking to the plan has helped. And, you know, Mark Cuban was like that for a while with the Dallas Mavericks. When the Dallas Mavericks that one year finished Carlisle. eight, I'm sorry, Carlisle. Who did I say? No, no, no. no. You should talk about Cuban. I just said, Rick, like, he stuck with oh, Carlisle. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rick Carlisle, you know, but, but with Nowitzki was their star player. They finished eighth. I'm sorry. They finished first. He wins MVP. They lose in the first round. And Mark Cuban was one of these guys. Oh, let's trade everybody. He kind of, like, kept that together. And then before you knew it, they started adding players and they won a championship. I know they made a coaching change, but they also made it to a finals with Avery Johnson as well. So I think sometimes stability is a little – underrated and everybody says that they want it but when given the opportunity it seems like everyone's quick to make a change which sometimes backfires yeah we're going to talk about uh, culture and changes more so in a moment but we want to let you guys know that we are in podcast form here on the putback so be sure to download us wherever you get your podcasts that way you don't have to look at frank you don't have to look at me you could just listen and uh, it might be better for everybody but yep. we want to get to you know, culture, it's such a slippery thing, right? <laughs> like you have it, you're building it, you're winning, and then something happens and you lose it and it's gone and you don't know how to get it back. You know, I'm looking across the river where they had a great culture established with the Brooklyn Nets and then the stars come in, uh, whatever, what happens, happens, and the culture gets eroded and they're trying to rebuild things now there. Uh, what do you think about that coaching situation, Sean Marks, Kevin Alley? How do you think this plays out from here. Now, if, um, I'm happy for Kevin Ollie that he's finally getting a chance. You know, he did coach UConn for a number of years. He won a national championship and then he became the coach of uh, overtime elite in the G League. But right now it's been tough for him. You know, his first game, they lost by 28. Then they played a really good game against Minnesota, fell apart late, lost by 15. They beat Memphis. And then last night they lost by 27. And I think, you know, the, the Nets, you know, like the team, the spirit of the team isn't there. There's not enough fight. And that's why I kind of feel badly for Kevin Ollie because here's a guy getting a chance. His you know job isn't guaranteed beyond, beyond this season. Most of the guys on that team, they have guaranteed contracts beyond this season. And you would hope that they would fight a little bit more 
for the head coach. But, you know, an issue that the Nets have, you make a, a drastic change like they made, you get rid of, uh, you know, you trade Kevin Durant, you trade Kyrie Irving, you're trying to rebuild with younger players, and it's hard to win in the league when you don't have stars. You know, Mikel Bridges over the last five games, you know, the Nets run a five-game road trip, which, which started with a 50-point loss in Boston. He's 24 of 73. Last night against Orlando, or I should say uh, Tuesday night against Orlando, he was two for 13 with four points. So it's, it's just not good enough. I mean, he needs to be better in order for them to win. And I think, you know, the big thing for the Brooklyn Nets, you know, they have they do have assets. And, you know, at some point they're going to try to make a big move, whether it's a draft pick or bringing somebody in. You got to get lucky. You either got to get lucky in the draft or you got to make the right move. Like the Knicks made the right move. By trading for, they traded for Julius Randle, right? And then um, bringing in. Well, they, they signed him yes. after they couldn't sign Durant. Yeah, exactly. Durant. Yeah, so they got uh, lucky on that, but mm-hmm. smart. And they got fortunate with Jalen Brunson because I still Brunson. don't understand why the mm-hmm. Dallas Mavericks didn't want to just sign the guy for $50 million at the start of the year, knowing that even if they don't like him, they could trade him to the Knicks and get, and get assets back. That made no sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's got to still haunt Everybody in the Big D. Yep. Well, Mikhail Bridges is interesting to me, Frank, because you know other people had reported, and, and I've confirmed this, that the Nets were offered at least four first rounders uh, in different iterations yeah. of deals for Bridges. At least four. I don't know what the quality of the four were, uh, but maybe there was even more in a, in a different offer made. And they have consistently turned that down. And what you're saying to me there is you're committed to building. Uh, with bridges around bridges with bridges whatever you want to say and you're you're not looking at all to it tear it all the way down and start back from scratch and and kind of where things are with with sean marks and his tenure i can understand why you wouldn't go that route but it's a it's a big uh yeah big statement you're making about bridges i wonder do they ever ever get off of him or are they just so committed to him and seeing what they can do with him it seems like that's the case I mean, I think you have to be realistic. I think if a good deal comes along, you'd have to do it. You know, if you look at his time at Villanova, he was their best player in a lot of ways. I mean, he was drafted in the first round, but he wasn't really the leader on that team. It was Jalen Brunson. Then when he went to Phoenix, you know, he's playing with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and then they had DeAndre Ayton. So I'm not even sure he was their third best player. He might have been their fourth best player. Now when you come to the Brooklyn Nets, and they're kind of looking for him to be the leader because Ben Simmons is in out of the lineup. He, you know, he hardly plays. And when he does play, he doesn't play a lot of minutes. He doesn't play back-to-backs. What you admire about Mikael Bridges is he does play all the time. He's got an incredible streak going. You know, so he's been he's been durable. And, you know, he and he gets it done. Oh, you know, he he's a defender as well as an offensive player. But I just think it's a lot harder for a young player when you're in a situation like this. And, you know, he's had some moments this year where, you know, he missed a key free throw. Uh, I think that was against uh, Portland that he missed it. And then against Miami, he had one where, you know, with 11 seconds to go, they're down one, and he takes a last-second shot. You can't be taking a last-second shot when you're down one with 11 seconds. you got to give yourself a chance here if you do miss it to foul and kind of play the long game. So it's 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 a big difference going from, you know, at best the third-best player on the Phoenix Suns, and they were and they made it to a finals, to being the number one guy. That's not an easy adjustment. It's not for everybody. Clearly, you know, his college teammate Jalen Brunson more than embraces it. I'm not, you know, Mikel Bridges, that still needs to be proven whether he can do that. And while he's kind of going through it, what are the Nets doing? They're losing a lot of games. Yeah, it's interesting. I think he's 
miss maybe miscast as a number one seems like a, a very good number two number three and and yep. you know we're, i agree we're with seeing you. that kind of in real time now we're going back to our guy matt spenley matt what's happening just a quick follow-up from before ian our guy my two cents on youtube says chris dudley played 16 seasons surely you got one nba game in you <laughs> you were the dudley you got one nba game we played 16 years i mean come on yeah you know? well if i'm I'm Dudley. I'm that that Shaq dunk over me is probably what would happen again and again. <laughs> you, remember, you remember Chris Dudley's free throws? Like, and he had a free yeah. shooting coach. It was weird. Like we'd watch him after practice, and he would go through. Then he'd stop midway. It would jerk, and then he'd shoot it. Okay, he's another guy <laughs> who just should have shot underhand. You know, when Shaq got into the Hall of Fame at the announcement, I forget where the heck it was. But he actually made a joke about I was terrible at free throw shooting, and people used to tell me I should shoot like Rick Barry. He said, I'd rather miss all my free throws than shoot like Rick Barry, shoot underhand. Chris Dudley should have done that. Everyone's making fun of your free throws anyway. You might as well, you know, use your big Not hands and flip down. it underhand. Yeah. And not as notable yeah. a player as Shaq, so I don't think people, people probably wouldn't have cared as much, there right? You go. Just exactly. let it ben Simmons um, should do right. the same thing. I mean, I know he's never going to do it, but he probably should. You never know. Uh, all right, before we get out of here, let's do a little Eastern Conference standings predictions, just how things will play out. A little jumbled in the middle, as we've seen, where the Knicks are in the four seed. So, um, Ian, let's start with you. Where do you see the Eastern Conference going? The Knicks, when we get to their upcoming schedule, they play Cleveland uh, in the upcoming weeks. They have a back-to-back -back with the Sixers. They play the Magic. So a lot of these teams are on their upcoming schedule. How do we see the rest of the season playing out in the East? Yeah, I mean, the Knicks obviously want to get into that top three, avoiding Boston in the second round. I don't, excuse me, I don't know if they're going to be able to get there because Milwaukee is playing better more recently. And that's where you look. And Cleveland, I think they were playing very well when you had Garland and Mobley out, which is fascinating in and of itself. How do they proceed? So there's a, there's a pathway for them to get to three. I think that depends uh, a lot on how soon you get Ananobi back, how soon you get Randall back, and how they look when they're back. But I, if I'm guessing, I'm going to guess four, and then you're having a tough time with Boston round two. Frank, what do you think? Yeah, yeah I think Cle I think Milwaukee will overtake Cleveland. You know, the one thing you're 100% right about how well they played with those guys out. Their schedule is also relatively easy. I love the game that they had on Tuesday night with Max Struess, who's a great dude, hitting that half-court shot, the second-longest game-winning shot uh, since the advent of the three-point line. It's a very, very likable team. they got a lot of nice guys on that team, and Cleveland is a great sports town. But I think Milwaukee will overtake them. I think very good chance we could get Miami Knicks in the first round, which will be an epic battle. You know, God help the loser of that series, but that would be – a big one, you know, with uh, Eric Spolster, Tom Thibodeau, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brunson. That that would be a lot of fun. It's tough in the East because th there's so many good teams. The Western Conference is the same way. If you look at the West, you have the bottom four teams in terms of the uh, play-in tournament would be Sacramento, Dallas, Warriors, Lakers. Think about that. Those are <sighs> those are four pretty good West teams. All of them yeah. are above 500. Two of them wouldn't even make it to the playoffs. Yeah, well, if we get Nick's heat, Frank, I hope we can add an element of nostalgia. We get you courtside, Steve Popper courtside. We get uh, Mitch Lawrence courtside, just like it was back in the old days. Let, let me t let me tell you a quick story. So, what did they play? They played twenty four games over three over four years, and I was lucky enough to sit courtside. But that first year that they played them, and the Knicks had the three one lead, and then the guys got suspended. Game seven. In Miami, and we were, we were, I mean, it was awesome back then. We were sitting courtside, 
And that Tim Hardaway, would, he was a Nick killer. Plus, I yeah. love the guy because he wanted to fight everybody. He, it was great because Starks yeah. wanted to fight him. Oakley wanted to fight him. He wanted to fight them. He would do something. Whenever he dribbled, you know, his knees were kind of knocked. They were together. He would always look in his, you know, pigeon-toed, and he'd always look down before he shot a three. And at the end of the first half, he crossed midcourt. Now, this is before Damian Lillard and Steph Curry where guys didn't do that. And I'm screaming. He looked down. I said, he's going to shoot it. And I'm telling you, he could hear me. And he and he hit like a bomb at the end of the first half. I said, son of a gun. What? A, but that was the only year they, they beat the Knicks. The Knicks ended up beating them twice in a game five in Miami. And then obviously game seven in 2000 in Miami. Those battles. And you know what's funny, too? Those games were all like in the 80s, 90s, sometimes yeah. in the 70s. Who cared what the score was? The games were incredible. Great so theater, intense. Great I mean, yeah. everyone was out there competing. It was, it, it was a lot of fun covering that. Yeah, great theater. I mean, it, for anybody who's uh, too young to have watched those games, and maybe you think the '90s were terrible, watch some of those games because they were fantastic. Frank Isola, really appreciate you. You guys can catch him in the morning, Sirius XM NBA Radio with Brian Scalabrini. Afternoons ESPN PTI around the horn. And at night, Yes Network, Nets coverage. He is all over your dial. Frank, we appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much. That'll do it for us. We will be back on the putback next Wednesday. We'll be breaking things down with the Knicks, with the injuries, with them kind of trying to bridge the gap here before they hopefully, for them, get these guys back. And we'll see where they are at that point. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you then.